Welcome, everyone. This is Chris Tubbs, president of the California Fire Chiefs Association. And on today's episode, I'm really excited to have Chief Bernie Malloy and Chief Kristen Thompson with us talking about um, the pandemic and the California Fire Service's response to that. And as a by way of background, um, under President Geick's, uh term and leadership, he instituted um, an after-action uh, report and a series of case studies. And so today, um, our guests are going to provide a little bit of information about um, not only the process, but the results. But let me start off by introducing uh, Chief Bernie Malloy with Marietta, California, and Chief Kristen Thompson with uh, Newport Beach Fire. Bernie, why don't you kick it off? Tell us a little bit about yourself, and then we'll go to Kristen. Sure. Thank you, Chris. Uh, excited to talk about this. My name is Bernie Malloy. I'm the fire chief for the city of Murrieta in Southern California. And uh, I currently sit as the Southern Area Director for Cal Chiefs. At the time of the pandemic, however, I was actually the division chief in charge of EMS for Lakeside Fire Protection District and was the sitting president of the EMS section for Cal Chiefs. So I've switched roles since the pandemic, but uh, a lot of what we took away um, came from that time period and such an active time in Cal Chiefs history. Thanks, Bernie. And Kristen? Thank you. Thank you, Chief. Uh, yeah, it's definitely uh, wild to be looking back at this time and, and actually talking about it again, but hopefully a lot of good stuff will come out of this. Uh, so I'm the EMS Division Chief with Newport Fire. I've been here about seven years. Prior to that, I was with uh, Anaheim Fire for uh, eight, nine years before that. And I've been part of the, uh, the EMS section for uh, Cal Chiefs for the last maybe 16 years or so. And that's definitely been a, been a, a godsend, as you guys will see as we talk about this stuff, what that network did and what the EMS section was able to accomplish. Well, again, I'm I'm really grateful for both of you joining and just um, I'm going to make a plug for both of you. Um, I don't know that I've seen two harder working individuals, uh, not only sort of in the fire service and certainly in the EMS lane, but uh, especially in the response to the pandemic and the work that we did trying to leverage what could we learn from that. So, again, I'm super excited that you're here. Obviously, I get to see the work you guys do on a regular basis and so thankful you're part of Cal Chiefs and part of the fire service. So if we maybe let's kick off with the um, the after action analysis. How how did the idea of that come about? Well, uh, Chris, I, th I think the thing we should start off with is just talking about the pandemic a little bit. And okay. we understand this is a super polarizing topic in the fire service and there's there's no getting around that. But really early in the pandemic, we realized that there weren't any directions for the fire service and fire-based EMS on how we had to deal with it. So we had to come up with something. So we worked together with Cal Chiefs, with other fire departments to come up with a plan of how we were going to keep our firefighters safe during a pandemic when all of the rules were changing. They changed daily, weekly. There was inconsistency throughout the whole state. So we had to come together to figure out what was going to be best practices and absent of existing best practices for the whole fire service. So we really wanted to focus on that. We understand that the, the pandemic resulted in a lot of polarizing topics. Th this isn't about that. This is about what did we as the fire service do to make sure that we were keeping ourselves and our crews safe 
and making sure that our communities were getting the need, their needs met, not just with pandemic response, but how do we keep a fire department going so we can do everything we do as an agency during a time of pandemic. And so that that's really what, you know, we are going to draw emphasis to. And the after action report came about because we wanted to capture that, those successes in the fire industry. And how did we solve these problems? What did we do? How did we collaborate? We're very good at after action reviews on fires, but we'd never done one for something like this. It was completely different and something the fire service hadn't seen. So we thought that we should memorialize that and we should look at how, how did we develop collaboration between the entire state and nation so quickly and really focus on the successes that we as the fire service had, because I believe we led the emergency response world here in California. And, uh, you know, the, the testament to that is, as we'll get to the conference call that Kristen set up, it became a national conference call and, um, all of the work that came from that as well. So that was really what the after action analysis was about is how do we capture this? So when something else happens in the future, we have a model for what the fire service achieved during that time that we can pass on is almost like a toolkit to future generations. Yeah, Bernie, thanks for providing that that background. I think the context is really important. And, and Kristen, can you maybe, you know, to sort of segue from what Bernie just talked about, could you could you tell us a little bit about the conference call that you established and, and that process and, and what we pulled out of that and how that eventually sort of led to or was connected to uh, the after action and the survey? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, like uh, Chief Malloy did earlier, just a little backup for a second on the time machine that we were in. We had our first cases in uh, in California in late January of 2020. And uh, and you think about where we were in early March in mid March of 2020, we got shut down. Right. Like we all went down in the lockdown. And in that time between January and early March, uh, we were all um, we were all preparing. We knew what was coming. We were already looking for PPE. We were already doing education and it became extremely apparent with all the changes and everything that was happening that uh, that none of us could do this in a silo, right? We needed SMEs. None of us could keep track of what was happening on the CDC website by ourselves on a daily basis that was changing, right? And, um, and so it was really a matter of collaboration and sharing and uh, and getting SMEs uh, to help all of us and just kind of bringing us all in the same room to come up with those best practices. Because if you also think about that time, uh, CDC didn't know what to do with us. They didn't know what to do. And again, none of this is any, everybody was busy, right? <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, the CDC didn't know what to do with fire-based EMS. And, uh, you know, we were kind of totally out of that loop. And there was a lot going on there, right? We had to keep track of everything coming out from the CDC, um, exposures, exposure risk and quarantine and positives and return to work. And those things changed on a daily basis. You'd wake up in the morning and go, okay, what's happening today? We couldn't manage all of that, just all of us in our silos. Um, OSHA didn't know what to do with us. So we didn't have any directive there. 
CDPH or LEMSAs or public health largely did not know what to do with fire-based EMS. Um, so we had to we had to come together to figure out what's the best practices. How do we take what's happening right now today and morph that into into the fire service and and especially EMS-based fire service that's running on medical calls and transporting all day. So that's a little bit of the context. So it really started out with um, an already strong uh, EMS section. And we, uh, you know, I had the first call and I still remember it, it was March 3rd of 2020. So right before we'd started this, and that was actually a first Zoom call (laughs) ever. So we were all working out the techie part of it. But it was really coming together to figure out how are we going to uh, collaborate and share information? How are we going to come up with the education PowerPoints? Who's going to monitor the CDC website? Who's going to who's going to deal with our dispatch protocols? <laughs> you know, so we all just got together um, uh, with an amazing group of people. We had uh, Cal OES and Jeff Meston. Uh, we had an amazing group of uh, EMS docs. We had Dr. Kazan and Dr. Benson and Dr. Uh, Mackey and Schlesinger. And sorry if I'm leaving them out, but we had just an incredible group of medical directors for fire departments on it. We had um, very collaborative. We had CPF on those calls um, from the very beginning. We had state fire training uh, we had behavioral task force members because we knew that behavioral health and they were on the first call the <laughs> first day because we knew that behavioral health was going to be a huge impact um, with this pandemic. Um, and uh, for sure, our fire service nurses and our, on our, our uh, designated infection control officers. So anyways, we got this this uh, this wide ranging group together to help all of us so that none of us had to recreate those wheels on our own. So it was pretty impressive. We had a, um, we had a website that actually still exists now on OneDrive where we could all dump all of our documents, our policies and procedures, our algorithms for how we're going to enter a house, how we're going to put on PPE, uh, everything we just dumped in. So it really just started like that none of us could manage this on our own. So we got together to share the load. Yeah, you know, as as an outsider, I noticed, you know, sort of the the rapid growth of your group, as you described, as you began to integrate, you know, other elements of that. One of the things um, I'm sort of curious about, though, is did you ever find any of the counties, public health officers, have directives or recommendations that were in conflict with other counties? And if so, how are you guys sort of navigating that? Are, are we supposed to laugh on the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's one of the things that, um, and I know we'll, we'll talk about that more, but it became definitely readily apparent. Um, like I said, the silence um, that came out was was pretty deafening. But also when stuff did come out, um, what are you doing in your county? Well, what are you doing in your county? And uh, and and the the diversity 
in maybe not a positive way uh, was was extremely apparent because these uh, these calls morphed and they started out um, Southern California that first meeting because that was the original group, but um, it quickly grew. So it was Northern California, Central California, and uh, as well as we incorporated Florida because uh, they were going through it. Um, Kirkland and Washington, we had them on um, extensively because they were going through it with, uh, you know, their ground zero. San Jose fire was kind of ground zero for California. So anyways, we just saw what other people were doing. We even had Italy on because they were going through it. But you know, we we were learning, but as we were learning, we were seeing how different the approaches were not in the fire service because we were all trying to be on the same page and share best practices. What we were doing here, we were doing in Berkeley Fire. <laughs> you know, it was across the board, but public health and LEMSA's a little different. Yeah, Chris, Chris, I, w- I would like to say that I there were some really good limpses during this. Like there's 33 limpses in the state of California. And part of what we saw in these conference calls is it was very apparent from day one that there were a lot of consistencies between the limpses. And we really felt that in a pandemic, that should not be the case. We have a state EMS agency and there should be some direction on how to deal with this from a state level. And so our limpses, when they had inconsistencies, it really caught us in the middle. And Kristen listed off, you know, everyone that didn't really, I call them the alphabet agencies, the CDC and OSHA, CDPH, and the says We also, as a fire service, we were concerned that we were going to start facing penalties if we did things wrong from OSHA. So we were, this group really kept us together in, in not just how do we make sure that our crews are being taken care of and our community is being taken care of, but the risk manager side was how do we make sure we're not facing fines and penalties for not being in compliance with an OSHA mandate that just came out that, that nobody knew about because there's no public noticing of OSHA that goes to fire departments. We found a lot of the communication breakdowns that existed. And within this group that Kristen set up, I mean, hats off, uh, you know, that it was an incredible feat and every week it got better, but everyone kind of fell into their area of expertise as well. So we, so nobody had to be the everything expert. You could go once a week to a conference call and get regular updates. And those people, it was very organic. These people just identified, became identified. You know, that's what happens when you speak up. Now you're the expert. So you're assigned to research all of this every time. But we really had people that stepped up and helped guide the fire service through, you know, what was a, a very confusing time for all of us. It was One of the, you know, the expression is we were building the airplane as we were taking off in it. And that's what this felt like. And uh, the the conference calls really brought us together as an industry, I feel like. Yeah, I know. I I can certainly speak from my agency's perspective and uh, the folks that I had attending those. And um, there was always a, a welcomed resource, right, is at least it gave you a sense of, maybe what the the consensus would be on certain uh, issues. And there's a certain safety in numbers, one might say, you know, especially when you have sort of these um, potential areas of disagreement. Um, You know, I think uh, we're fortunate in my county, we have a a really good LEMSA and a really great relationship with our uh, public health um, office and, and our public health officer. But I know that's not necessarily the same across 
the state. And so, you know, the work that you guys did in this conference call, I think, was really, really critical. And I think as a result of it, as we all know, what this sort of is what led to, um, uh, you know, President Geich saying, hey, you know, we have this opportunity um, we were just coming out of this, quote unquote, um, and this information is still fresh in our minds. Should we not try and capitalize on it and identify the things that worked really, really well and the things that didn't? And then, and then we can go work as the fire service likes to do. Let's go work on those things that, um, didn't work so well. And so you two became, you know, very, very engaged, um, would be putting it mildly. Um, in the development of the a survey and um, the after action analysis. But maybe from your perspective, as you guys were sort of coming out of this conference call, um, how did you see sort of the development of of this initiative to do an after action and a, and a survey? I, I, I'm going to give that one to Kristen. Unfortunately, she had a survey monkey subscription. So she said, I'll take this on not knowing how much work that would end up being. But we had, like we talked about, there were so many inconsistencies and so many trends that we saw come up during these conference calls that, you know, Kristen really tracked it. She hosted and was at every one of these conference calls. And we should make note that uh, Kristen, tell how many, it went on for two years. So two, yeah, two years um, for 69 uh, straight weeks, we met, every Thursday morning at 11 o'clock <laughs> and uh, for 69 straight weeks. And then we ended up doing 72 uh, total conference calls because after the, uh, the weekly calls, so that's a year and a half of weekly calls. And we kept saying, all right, well, this will be the last one or nobody's going to tune in. And there was always, we were always dealing with something new that we all had to share and talk about. But anyways, it went on to be a total of 72 calls and they started out, they were I had horrible time management skills, but they were supposed to be an hour. <laughs> I don't think one time they ever ended in an hour. Of course, people could drop off if they wanted and they didn't, but yeah, it was pretty long. But out of, out of that, there were a lot of trends that came yeah. out that we wanted to be able to capture. And so we, we really wanted to highlight the impacts on how it, how the whole response impacted the fire service and how we overcame that. So there were a lot of questions regarding that. Yeah. We wanted to document the breadth and scope of the fire response from day one. What did we do in our communities? What, you know, what steps did we take as a whole industry? And then were we allowed to take these steps or were there any constraints keeping us from doing a lot of steps? And, um, it, you know, when you look at it, just what we were able to accomplish without a rule book was pretty impressive as an industry. And we wanted to capture that. So we, Kristen did the whole survey and sent it out to all the fire departments in the state. And I think we, there was about 29, there were 29 questions and, it was pretty in-depth. She, I think in the email said that it would take about 15 minutes and it took everybody about three hours by the time we got through the questions, but we were all yeah. committed to the cause by that point. Thanks, Kristen. Yep. And I think in the end, we had 119 uh, agencies that replied to it and it wasn't just localized. It was all throughout the state of California. So we had a really good overview. And what was interesting is 
of those 119 agencies, a lot of agencies were working together. So they would just get together and give like a county response on how they did it. So I think it was a very great, having done surveys, this was a very broad sample of the fire service in the state and what everyone did. Yeah, yeah I, think and I, I think also the the responses, what made it so um, kind of so incredible was it was everything. It was um, it was municipalities or city governments. It was it was tribal uh, departments. It was county. It was uh, metro fire departments. It was rural. It was urban um, small departments to uh, departments with three thousand uh, uh, firefighters employed. So it was a really, um, uh, a broad range of everybody that, that applied or not applied, but everybody that contributed to the survey. And like, I, like Bernie said, it wasn't just, I'm going to go online. This is going to take me a couple minutes and I'll do it. The, um, the time and the investment that people put into this survey, I think is really a testament to the time and effort that they put in to their efforts during the pandemic, because that's really what this survey, and it's still only a sliver of, of a kind of memorializing, um, like Bernie said earlier, that breadth and that scope of the fire services response during the pandemic. And the other thing about this was we did this, um, we, uh, we only had the survey open for about a month in um, October and November of 21, so that was before we all got that last nice bang that we got in, <laughs> in December, January, February of 22, right? That last big kicker uh, surge that we had. But um, the fact that even in a month, because we all know how everybody's inboxes are, they still took the time to do this survey. But like I said, it, it was a full representation of all of the fire service in, in California that responded to this survey. Well, before we sort of jump into talking about some of the survey findings, which I think is is really important, right? I mean, ultimately, that's kind of what um, the after action is really about is. And thank you, as Bernie said, you really sort of took this initiative on yourself and developing the survey and managing, you know, the survey. As you were designing that, Kristen, maybe, you know, could you give a couple examples of, of some specific things that you were really interested in in learning? I think at a high level, we could all, you know, understand we want to know what went well but and what didn't go well. But, you know, down into the trenches, what does that look like in detail? Oh, yeah, that was big. And I think, again, that came out of those conference calls every week, because in, in 21, when we did this survey, we were still in the midst of uh, of weekly conference calls at that point. And it was it was still, again, just that just the incredible uh response that the fire service was doing but um we it also was apparent so this was a year and a half in right almost two years in and um it had been super apparent on these calls as bernie said earlier the inconsistency that was also happening not because fire wasn't ready not that because fire hadn't prepared or it you know it was like the uh you know, the, the player on the sidelines going, put me in coach, put me in, uh, you know, and being held back uh, was really apparent. So again, besides showing the breadth and the scope, just really showing um, 
you know, is, is just my view, it was inconsistent? Or how do we how do we prove or disprove that thought process by doing a survey? And it was really meant to be, um, you know, all these different perspectives. So it isn't just Oh, that's Kristen's perspective of the pandemic. You know, it's yeah. it was meant to be an actual document that showed what was happening. Yeah, I thought there was, I mean, I really appreciated the the time and energy that was put into that to try and design, you know, a survey that, you know, obviously there's a degree of subjectivity in those, but as making it as objective as we can. And to, to Bernie's point earlier about the diversity of the responses that we got from that survey um, that helps bring some validity to the findings, right? That it's not just a half a dozen people submitting an opinion. Your questions were really designed to sort of dig into some level of detail so that we could take substance from that so if, if you were, you know, if we jump to sort of talking a little bit about the, the findings now, what what would be sort of the summary or some of the high points of that that you thought were really notable? Bernie, you want to start? Yeah, you know, yeah, I'm going to so, take a minute. I can't. I can't. Right. It's too much to say in, in five minutes. I'll yeah. try to limit mine, I'm, but I'll see what Bernie comes up with first. Kristen has some staggering statistics that came out of this, very granular statistics, and it's great that we have them. I think for me coming, you know, I, I come through the typical fire service path, you know, firefighter, paramedic, but heavily on suppression, paramedic, because it was part of the job, you know. So my my experience through the suppression side and through incident management teams and coming that route, I, we learned something in the fire service and that's the structure of the fire service, the structure of incident management and that ICS is an all risk application of incident management. And what really shined through to me is that where the fire department was able to implement incident management teams and, and carry through with an ICS structure, though it was not your typical ICS structure always, but where we were able to have operations and logistics and, and things of that nature and brought them together, it actually worked to manage the pandemic and not just, not just one part of the pandemic. But if we were able to do an incident management team that talked about the, the response to the pandemic, how do we keep ambulances working? Where, you know, when we got to integrate fire into public health to make sure that decisions were being made that represented fire and response, we were there and it went well. When we were there, when we started doing testing, when we were asked to do testing for our communities or for our firefighters, when we established that in, a, in an ICS structure, it worked well, just like it does on any incident that we manage. We manage big incidents in the fire service. And then when we moved to the topic of vaccinations and asked fire departments uh, to do vaccinations like we did in San Diego County, where we had 22 fire departments working together to do vaccinations for firefighters, for the public, for our indigent population, for, you know, workers in fields and our, our convalescence homes. And when we could have a structure of ICS, it worked really well. So using the model the fire service is comfortable with made us successful. And there were a lot of questions about that and how we collaborated. And that was the big takeaway I had about why the fire service was so successful at everything we did. Did we did we make mistakes? Absolutely. Did we learn from those mistakes? I believe so. And we were able to move forward with them. 
So I know that Kristen has a lot of statistics now, so I'm going to let her cover the statistics that came out of it. And, you know, with the podcast, we can't put up all the charts like we did at CFED, but we put all of these up at CFED and it's, it's pretty great when you can see what this looks like in pie charts about what the fire service did in this time. Yeah. And I, I, you know, that, that really is one of the key points is how ICS and incident management teams came into this whole structure and just the time and the effort. One of the questions focused on how much time was put into uh, not only EOCs that a lot of us were doing in our in our uh, in our local jurisdictions, but our countywide <laughs> efforts, and it was impressive. I mean, we had agencies that had um, ten, not just thousands of hours, but tens of thousands of hours invested into all aspects, whether it was testing or vaccinations. Um, much like our our conference calls were set up, kind of ICS. Like, I mean, we had logistics where we were trying to figure out where to get masks or if we're, where we're getting our gowns from, whether it was a, you know, restaurant down the street, we had operations, we had a medical branch, those conference calls, we had admin, we had safety, all that was incorporated in the conference calls. But those things, because they were incorporated into our our daily response basically to the pandemic. So it was really kind of highlighted how, um, how effective that, that system is when it's applied to something that we hadn't done to this extent before, right? To this largest scale, to this um, extensive where it affected all of us. It wasn't just, oh, that's Northern California that that wildfire is happening or, you know, it affected all of us. So again, just the um, what the survey revealed about how effective ICS is and, and IMTs was pretty um, impressive. And especially the agencies that were allowed to apply that. And I say allowed because there were some that were kept out of, of utilizing that. But anyway, some of the uh, some of the uh, highlights, I think that that came out of that Again, not to not to get heavy into stats, but uh, and I'm not going to. Don't worry, Bernie. <laughs> I, I'm not going to get heavy into stats. But um, th what the survey did is really kind of highlight the um, the uh, the efforts that uh, that the fire service was able to do that at that time nobody else would have been able to do. Um, just kind of going into a couple of the things, we know that the fire service had a huge impact as far as vaccinations. So from that survey, 87%, this is just a couple of the stats <laughs> that I'm going to give, but 87% of the those 120 fire departments had a part in vaccination efforts. But um, to just say that, it's like, oh, they helped. No, the fire service in many instances led this between, um, between leading uh, pods and super pods, but setting them up using ICS to figure out when in, in mid-December of 20, when the vaccines came out, how are we going to, how are we gonna get shots in arms? The fire service <laughs> was set up to do that. And there were, there was uh, agencies, entire counties here in Orange County, we were putting shots in arms on December 26th. 
It was only two weeks earlier that we, you know, we knew we were going to get vaccines. And then it was like, how do we implement this? And to safely implement a plan in less than two weeks, much less the day after Christmas and start vaccinating and then go on to vaccinate millions. That's, you know, when we talk about that and the, the vaccination efforts, we know that, you know, getting those shots in arms in millions of people directed at, you know, at fire service clinics and super pods was pretty amazing. But I think just the, uh, the staffing hours that the fire service put into, uh, to, to those vaccination efforts, again, this is people that wanted them. (laughs) And if you try to look back, it was a pretty um, scary time, right? December, January of 21, we were right in the middle of a giant peak that would have ended differently uh, without the vaccines, right? So, um, you know, people wanted them and it was how to get them in arms safely and efficiently and do that quickly. And that's what the fire service did. And we're talking not only uh, paramedics vaccinating, but departments uh, when it became okay, uh, EMT, EMTs were vaccinating. Uh, many of us have had lifeguards vaccinating. We had chief officers and fire chiefs <laughs> involved in the effort. You know, this was this was definitely a, a huge effort. But um, the other thing about the vaccination efforts was the um, the how the fire service did that equitably. And, uh, and they got into um, areas of vaccinations that at the time, um, nobody else would have been able to do. Uh, we were vaccinating homebound. We were vaccinating in uh, convalescent hospitals, uh, homeless populations. Uh, Bernie, they were had a huge effort for, as well as other counties, for farm workers, for migrant farm workers. So really, it, you know, uh, it was just kind of that, again, that just that amazing effort and uh, time that went into that whole vaccination part of it there's more but i'll <laughs> well and i think for a second yeah kristen i think to your your point at bernie's you know you both shared how you guys did a presentation at cfed last year which which was excellent although i know you guys weren't able to cover everything you wanted in the in in the time that you were given and um it certainly is our plan you know at cal chiefs to post that presentation and and most likely the survey at some point in time because it is so rich in data and there's so much to learn um from that um i think that it's a um a unique opportunity which is you know of course what what president geik had said in the beginning of this is you know let's let's grab this while it's fresh in our mind and we have some people's attention and stuff um bernie is there anything you want to share on the survey front you know, I just like like Kristen said, another one of the huge takeaways is because even with the conference calls, you you heard what a lot of people were doing. But when you actually put the hours to it, you you saw just not just what we were doing for our communities, but Kristen took a real angle on what what were our fire departments doing for our fire crews during this time? Because let's face it, I mean, we all know that that was definitely one of the most stressful time. Well, it's certainly my most stressful time in the fire service and the time I've been in the fire service. So we had to focus on our own a lot during that time. And what was great to see, and it made me very happy was that 75% of the organizations address behavioral health during the, during the pandemic, providing care for our own in our 
in our own fire departments. And that was really important because it was it was easy to be outward facing during that time. But I don't think we would have come through it together as a fire service if we weren't addressing our own at the same time. So, again, hats off to the behavioral health group and the people that were involved in that. Not everybody needed a lot of help, but everybody needed maintenance during that time. We were all being mandatory enforced back, you know, staffing patterns. It was so much work for everybody. I think something we should also draw light to is that during this pandemic, we also had two of the worst fire years we've had in the history of California. Who wasn't on a strike team for half of the summer during this as well? And then we go to fire camps and we're going to fire camps and they're like, oh, I'm sorry, you can't stand in the chow line. We have to hand you your food over here. There's no laundry at this fire camp because the whole laundry got COVID. You know, we're just so everything was harder during that time. And nothing was consistent. It changed every day. And our crews did an amazing job. But I think a lot of our fire departments did an amazing job making sure our crews were taken care of during that time as well. And, you know, hopefully we learn from that and we carry that forward with how we address our own in the future with all situations. Yeah, Bernie, I agree. I mean, it certainly was an unparalleled experience for the fire service and certainly the California fire service. You know, like you said, we have the perfect storm, if you will, of, of events and, and it's impressive how the California fire service responded, but it's a story that most Californians don't know, right? Which is in part, I think, you know, part of the objective of the survey and the, and the after action reports is that we are taking an opportunity to do that reflection, to, to be as objective in that reflection as we can be and to capture that story so that we, we don't lose it, first of all. And secondly, um, not only can we learn from it, but we can share it, right? We can share it in a variety of audiences at the, the appropriate time, because I think it again is, is an amazing story. It speaks to the sort of the, the power of those who choose public service and what they do on the front lines every day for the communities. Um, I know as we're coming up close sort of towards the end of our, um, timeline here, I know that there's some, um, hard stops for, uh, for you guys. Um, I didn't want to get off of this podcast without talking a little bit about the after action surveys, because that's another aspect um, of this. And before I sort of kick it off to you two to talk about that, um, just for the audience. So one of the things that, you know, both you and other folks on the Cal Chiefs eBoard have been involved in is the development of a white paper, which I know we're still working on finalizing. And the goal is to eventually make that available, um, also on the Cal Chiefs website. But uh, let me just sort of kick it over to both of you. And maybe you could talk a little bit about the after action reports. How did we, sort of get the information out of the need and and how did we sort of design um, what we were looking for and ultimately what did we get back from that and what were the high high level findings? Well, I think when when we talk about the white paper and what we were looking for, we we wanted to take the survey that was, as we already talked about, very in-depth and really draw from it successes and failures as you do with any after action review. It turns out we, we were probably doing it a bit early because, you know, how many times did we keep thinking the pandemic was over? <laughs> and, and as we started this white paper, Omicron hit and like everything changed. Yeah. So we, we realized that we weren't quite ready to take it forward. And we had a lot of positive changes that were coming just from 
us actually sitting down as leaders in the fire service and having discussions about what a white paper is going to look like and how it's going to impact us. So we took the survey, we based, we broke the questions down into things that um, we succeeded on as an industry, things that we didn't do well on and we can do better. And then, you know, we, we want to provide a model for the future of how we respond to incidents like this. But what we'd really like to see, and I think, and uh, let me turn down my radio here, that what we'd like to see going forward coming out of the white paper is consistency. Because as we saw, like like we talked about incident management and ICS, I, you, if you go to a fire in Northern California or a fire in Southern California, it's going to look very similar because of how we've learned that working one way works in the fire service, using a structure that we know works in the fire service and no, you know, it's not the fault of public health. It's not the fault of our limb says that they don't understand that part about us because we don't talk about our successes like we, like we want to with this. So we wanted to find a way to get it to where, our industry could have consistency and that we could be recognized as leaders in all responses. I mean, we, we call ourselves fire departments, fire and rescue departments. Nobody's going to add pandemic to their name, but really, I mean, it has to be understood that if you have a problem in your community, in your, in your county, in your state, the fire departments can help step up and be part of the solution to that problem. And that's really what we want to focus on with the white paper and showing how the fire service can succeed when they're challenged in directions we haven't been challenged in the past. Kristen? Yeah, I was just obviously uh, in, in full agreement. We really, um, when it does come out, hopefully, um, you know, people actually take the time to, uh, to look through it because, I mean, we only, we touched on like 1%, <laughs> right, of even this, the survey itself. And, and there's so many areas that we didn't get into, but I think what it really shows, again, is the, the depth of what the fire service did. And we had a whole section on the impacts that the fire, that, it, that the pandemic was having on the fire service. And one of the other aspects of that is not only the impacts and what we were dealing with with our with our everyday operations, but you add on top of that, like Bernie said, we had civil unrest, we had wildfires, we had budget crisis, right? Nobody was, no TOTs were coming out. We had uh, no PPE. I mean, uh, we had oil spills and APOT. We had so much going on. But even through this and with with huge impacts to our staffing, right, like a lot of us were dealing with 40 percent of our staff being out or more with either in quarantine or with covid. Uh, we were we were uh, we were impacted with um, firefighters that were in the hospital that were in the ICU. We were impacted with line of duty deaths, re both related to COVID and, and unrelated to COVID. Through all of this and all the background that we were going through, one, one huge part that came out of that survey was how few departments even had to brown out a station, right? Like the, those, those wheels were still hitting the pavement. Those response times were still being met. 
and service was still being delivered to to communities. And I think that's really something that kind of comes out in the in in the white paper and the the results was just the um, no matter with all this stuff going on that was impacting and impacting people personally, they were still able to come to work and uh, and meet the needs of their of their community. It's pretty impressive. Yeah, you know, as, as we bring this to a close, you know, certainly an hour is not near enough time to talk about um, this subject, which again is, I think, a great, you know, reason to post, you know, the survey results, the CFED presentation, so people can look and dig into that. But, you know, I, I first of all want to thank both of you for, you know, joining the podcast today and at least sort of providing, you know, that 60, 90,000 foot um, level perspective and uh, insight from not only you know how the fire service in california responded to the pandemic and then how we tried to leverage that experience into a learning opportunity so you know first of all i want to thank you you know again for being here today and of course all of your work um in this lane like i said at the beginning i, I you two are some of the hardest working people um that i've met um and 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 just so um grateful you're a part of the fire service and a part of the california fire chiefs association but before I go, um, I want to give you both a chance, you know, any parting thoughts. Um, uh, uh, but uh, again, I just want to end up closing by just thanking you both for being here today. Thanks. Uh, thanks, Chris. And I, I think uh, likewise on the hardest working year, <laughs> we know what, we, what you've accomplished over the past few years as well. So thank you to you. Uh, one thing I definitely want to get, get in before we get off this uh, podcast is when people go and actually look at these statistics and you see everything that went in, it, the numbers are staggering. And what we understand is that those numbers are our people. That's the fire service. So some people that aren't in the fire service will look up there and say, oh, 67%, oh, 87%. We know that those are people's lives and that those are the work that was done by our people, um, our fire service, our industry. And it's just really important to draw emphasis to the fact of how hard our entire industry and how proud we are of our entire industry and what they've accomplished over the past two, three years. Nothing, we would not have been as successful as we were if every person in all of our organizations wasn't putting in the work and the time to make sure that our communities were being served and that our crews were being served. So that's what I really hope that people take away from looking at the survey and all of those results. Well said. Kristen? I, I think one of the big things that, that came out of this um, for me, and I've been accused of being the herder. So, you know, that Australian shepherd herder, but uh, there's a, there's a point behind that in that, you know, the collaboration to show what, what we can accomplish when we collaborate and bring that whole mutual aid aspect to, to something like this, uh, what we can accomplish when we're all collaborating is phenomenal because none of us could have done this on our own to the extent that, that we, that we were successful. And like Bernie said, we definitely learned from a lot of things that happened, uh, but that that collaboration and that teamwork is readily apparent, and it's uh, it extends past the fire service. The collaboration and 
and uh, relationships that are built with our LEMSAs and public health, CDPH and OSHA, like it really highlighted the areas that we need more uh, collaboration and involvement with between the fire service and these entities and, uh, and how each of us can kind of strengthen that because definitely we are much stronger when we're together and when we utilize when we recognize what other people are capable of and let them do it and not not hold them back for ego or power or other reasons. It's like, hey, you're good at that. You do that. Well, I do this. And together, we're going to create something that's pretty impressive. Agreed. Well, again, thank you both for joining me today and for sharing you know, your experiences and all of the work that you did.